But Daniel 11, starting in uh, verse 1, all the way down to verse 35, basically what it did is it showed the interaction of nations, specifically the king of the south, which is Egypt, the king of the north, which is Syria, the Seleucid kingdom, were all constantly fighting together, and Israel right in the middle. And we see from Daniel chapter 11 that there was a Seleucid king. He was uh, from Syria, which is north of, of Israel, named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And he was the one that came down and got all upset that he didn't wasn't able to take all the spoils that he wanted from Egypt. And when he went back through Israel, he persecuted the Jews. He cut off their temple worship. He demanded that they sacrifice a pig every month uh, to commemorate his birthday. They, he, he, uh, outlawed the, the, uh, rituals and the things that were common to the Jews. Basically what he did is he tried to just uh, destroy their religion. That's what he tried to do. We're going to see tonight that there is going to be another king and uh, the Bible calls him by many names that's going to come. He's in the future. From Daniel he was in the far future. Okay, Antiochus was from the near future. Daniel wrote these, uh, left this epistle, this whatever you want to call it, this book. He wrote it somewhere around 600 AD, okay, roughly, 550, 600 AD. And Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, came on the scene about 167 BC. So that prophecy was what? A good solid. 400 years prior to his that prophecy being fulfilled. So God gave Daniel this prophecy that was the near prophecy that was fulfilled roughly about 400 years later. God also gave Daniel the far prophecy of the Antichrist, which hasn't been fulfilled yet. So it was 2,500 years later than that. So you can see how important those prophecies were to, to Daniel and to us. So in Daniel chapter 11, sorry about that. Daniel chapter 11, uh, let's start at verse 36, okay? Now, the, the king here in verse 36 is different than the king or kings that we have prior, that we've studied prior. It says here, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. Now we read and study a lot in the Bible about the day of wrath. Okay, what does wrath mean? 
anger, right? So the day of wrath is God's anger on an unbelieving world. You know, God has a limit to his patience, I guess, his forbearance. It's not that he's weak that way. It's just that he has set a time that says, I'm done. I'm done with what's going on in the world. I'm done with the wickedness, the evil that's in men's heart. Here's the end date. And we see that the especially the last three and a half years of the tribulation is called the day of wrath or the day of God's anger. Now, it says in verse 37, he, this king, okay, this king will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Now, this has been, uh, I think, misinterpreted to say that he will not like women. That he will be, in fact, perhaps uh, homosexual. But I don't think that's what it's saying here. Because listen to what it says now. It says, he will show no regard for the gods of his father or for the one desired by women. And who are we talking to? We're talking to Jewish people, right? This book was written to the Jews. It is concerning the Jewish nation and the Gentile kings that had influence. So I think that what the prophecy is saying here is that he will not he will not have any regard for the coming Savior. Because you see, the Jews, the Jewish women, were taught that there would be a Savior, right? So you can imagine Every Jewish woman, maybe not every Jewish woman, but many Jewish women were born. I wish I could be the mother of the Savior. And that's kind of what he's talking about, is that he's saying here, he's saying, um, he will not have any regard for the one desired by women. That would be the Savior, Jesus Christ. Nor will he regard any God but will exalt himself above them all. Now, let's just keep your finger there, and let's go to Second Thessalonians chapter two, and I'll, because this is another description of the Antichrist, and let's just compare it with what we're reading in Daniel. Okay, we're also going to compare it with Revelation chapter thirteen. So, Second Thessalonians chapter two. And I'm going to start in verse 1, okay? This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to this church at Thessalonica because there had been rumors that the day of the Lord had already happened, and that they had missed it. Now, can you imagine if we came to church here and I said, hey, I said, we all missed the rapture. You'd be like, What? <laughs> Yeah, when? How? Why? Yeah, I thought we were going. And that, that's kind of what happened here in this church. And so Paul has to deal with this. Here's what he says in verse 1. He says, concerning 
the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You got that? The coming of our Lord. Now, the Lord's already come the first time, right? So now we're talking about the second time. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. Now, the being gathered to him could stand for the rapture, because that's what is going to happen, is God's going to gather up his people and take them out of here before his wrath happens. It says this, We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Are you tracking with me? Okay. He says in verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Now, we know from our Lord's dissertation on the Mount of Olives in Matthew chapter 24, when the disciples asked him, when will be the end of the age? Do you remember what the very first sign he gave them was? Deception. That was the first thing. He says, let no one deceive you. Many will come, saying that they are the Christ. Many will come in my name, etc., etc. And so this day is going to be characterized by deception. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we're there now. Okay? People are calling right wrong and wrong right. And that is deception, pure and simple. So it says here, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, this man of lawlessness is another name for the Antichrist. Okay? It says, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. What did we read in Daniel? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> let, me, let me restate it, okay? Here's, keep your finger there in 2 Thessalonians, because I'm coming back. It says this, the king will do as he pleases, he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and will say unheard of things against the God of God. the same thing, right? Okay, so then it says here in verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians, it says, Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back. So he's been talking about him and the man. So our first point, which we haven't gotten to yet, is that the Antichrist will be a man. Right? Now, he says this, you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. So what is it that's holding the Antichrist back? Well, I mean, there's a lot of contention about this and conversation about it. But the Antichrist will not come as long as the church is still here. Okay? So it could be that he's talking about the Holy Spirit as it is in the body of Christ. Because it says, okay, it says 
and you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. So the what may be the church or the church age. You see, there's many that believe that the church age, that the church is going to go through the tribulation. Okay? Here's what the Bible says. In this world, you will have tribulation and troubles. Okay? But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That's John, I think, chapter 20, verse 33, somewhere in there. Okay? Um, so, the fact of the matter is, is that you and I are going to have troubles and tribulation. But that's not the same as saying we're going to go through the tribulation, because the tribulation is God's outpouring of anger or wrath, okay, on the unbelieving world, the Christ-rejecting world. Now let me, uh, hopefully I can find it, let me um, read something to you real quick. And this wasn't in my plan, but I'm going to make it in my plan anyway. Let's see. I know it's on this side of the page. Basically, it says this, okay, and I'm not sure if you can find it, but no, would you? It says that we are not appointed to wrath or to receive wrath, receive God's anger, but we are appointed to receive God's salvation. So, right there, it tells you that if if people thought that the church is going to go through the time of God's wrath, the Bible specifically says that we are not appointed. Receive God's wrath. First Thessalonians uh, 5, number 9. Oh, man. I passed right over to. Gee. Okay, so here's what it says, okay? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. It says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Got that? Can you interpret that more than one way? No. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but but indicates what? Contrast. So here's the contrast, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's really good news for the church because um to be very frankly, we don't want to go through the tribulation. This is gonna be a nasty time. Where, where are you at? 5.11. Yeah, it says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And it said in chapter 4, verse uh, 16, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, after that we are, who are still alive and are left, left where? Face the earth, right? Who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. 
to meet the Lord in the air. Then after that it says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now let me tell you something. If we're going to go through the tribulation, and we've read about it already in Revelation chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, and of course there's other places in the Bible, it's pretty hard to be encouraging, isn't it? Listen, I want you to have a smile on your face because you're going to get your head chopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't even think I can pull that off. So, back to Second uh, Thessalonians. Now listen, this is describing the Antichrist. It says, and now you know what is holding him back. I believe that's probably the Holy Spirit in the church. So that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. In the epistle of John, in 1 John, it says that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. And that was when John wrote. When did John write? Roughly about 90 AD. So, so shortly, I mean, maybe even the day after, I don't know, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that spirit of Antichrist was raising its head. Why? Well, you know, the devil doesn't want us to this <coughs> stuff. He is the consummate Antichrist, isn't he? In fact, we know from Revelation that it says that the dragon will give this man his power. So we'll continue on. It says here, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. So now this personifies whoever this is. The he here could very well be the Holy Spirit. And how is the Holy Spirit going to be taken out of the way? Well, if the church is wrapped Holy Spirit in each one of you, is going to be gone. So that's going to be taken out of the way. Now, you have to remember in the Old Testament, of which the last seven years, or the 70th week of Daniel, is a part of, is the last week of the of the age of the Jews, right? Remember that the Holy Spirit did not come and indwell people permanently in the Old Testament. And that very well may hold true for the tribulation. The Holy Spirit would come upon people and instruct them and guide them and do these things. But David even prayed, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. See, we couldn't be, for us to Pray that would be stupid because the Holy Spirit is in us. That's the one thing that we can't change. Is uh, it's the mystery. It's Christ in you. That's yeah. That's the mystery of the church age. Is Christ in you, Tony? Yeah, I was thinking uh, prior to the Pentecost, um, the Jews had to go where God was, whether whether the temple or following the, the cloud in the desert and so on and so forth. And of course we don't have to because it's in well, but then could possibly what Holy Spirit 
there is back, there was back in those days that, you know, may happen during the tribulation. Would the people also then seek out and go to places where, like the temple and so on? Well, and that's a very good question, too, because the temple is supposed to be rebuilt. Because there's going to be sacrifices offered in Jerusalem at a new temple. And I, I'm sure many of you know this, but there is a temple committee in Israel made up of scholarly people, priests, etc., that know they have all of the accoutrements ready to set that temple up again. It's just a matter of the right time and the right place. A lot of people believe that the Dome of the Mosque, okay, and the Alaska Mosque, which is on the Temple Mount, the Temple Mount is like 36 acres, okay, roughly. And they believe that that would have to be destroyed in order for the Jewish temple to be rebuilt. Now, if that's truly the site of the Jewish temple, if that's where it was, which there is some um, disagreement on that, then it's shown that, that those mosques would be in the court of the Gentiles. So they wouldn't have to necessarily be destroyed because they're a Gentile thing for the Holy of Holies, Etc. Etc. The temple be rebuilt. So, if those mosques were to be destroyed by man, by an act of some type of terror or war or something, that would most certainly start World War III. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but through the land of Israel, there is a huge earthquake fault, and God could just go. <laughs> <laughs> and that temple, uh, the, the Dome of the Rock, all that stuff, it could just be flattened in a minute. And that would be a possibility of how God could fix that problem, too. So, you know, I guess we'll leave that one to God. Now, yes? I, I had heard a long time ago that uh, the Dome of the Rock doesn't exist on the exact side of the temple. Yeah, they are... Um, and I'm, I'm not going to get into this because I'm not knowledgeable enough, but there is a city of David, okay? There's an actual location of the city of David. And it is down and away from where that temple mount is. What they think, okay? And it still hasn't been, I don't think it's been proven yet, but it's some pretty serious stuff going on, is they think that that temple mount was actually the foundation for the fort of Antonius, or whatever they call it, and it was where all the Roman legion soldiers were housed, right? And it wasn't actually the foundation of the temple. The temple was somewhere else. Now, is that true or not? I, I have no idea, you know what I mean? But it's plausible. They'll figure it out with the devil. They did find a huge temple near the complex that they think was David's residence. That they know was a Jewish temple in the time of David, and it's not up on the hill, it's down, like you say, where the rest of the city of David is. Exactly. Yeah. So if, if that ended up being where the temple was, exactly the mosque and stuff, it would be yeah. no big deal because that, that's in a different location, right? So they wouldn't even worry about that. So we've got some interesting things coming up. But Tony's remark about, um, the Jews 
having to go to God if they build that temple and we start animal sacrifices, then that's a place where the Jews would go to worship as well. Will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth, and so he says. For this reason, God sends them a powerful illusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all who be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. You know, Jesus said that the court has met, a verdict has come in in the gospel, and that the reason that men and women don't come to salvation in the Lord is because they don't want their darkness revealed. They don't want their sinfulness revealed. They really want to revel in their sinfulness. And you know, God has made the light very clear, and very well known. And yet, there are people that still refuse the light and they want to live in the darkness. That's what they want to do. And you know, we see it. It's happening in our country. I think even more. You know, I'm, I'm going to make a statement that is slightly political, so don't take it the wrong way, okay? But, you know, we had a liberal influence in our government with Clinton and with Obama. There's no question they were liberals, okay? And liberals, generally speaking, are for abortion for homosexuality, they are for a litany of things. We can actually go to the Bible and say, God's not for that. Okay? So why are you? Um, God gave us, this proves that God has a sense of humor, God gave us Trump. Okay? And uh, Trump is, is, is he's the president of the United States. Many of the things that he's proposed and done, I think, are very excellent. And there's a few things that he has said and done that I wish he hadn't said and done. Uh, they just weren't necessary, okay, for, for a man in that position. But that's Trump. I mean, he is, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but when they were, had the 16, uh, or however many there was, candidates on stage, remember? And the question was asked, is there anyone here that will not support the Republican nominee for president? Trump raises his hand. He got Here's what has, has come into my thinking in the last couple days, and I'm just going to share it with you. If the Democrats win in 2020, now they've already won the House, right? And they won the House, so they have the majority in the House, they have the majority in the Senate. And I'm, not, I'm not advocating anything one way or the other, I'm just telling the truth, okay? If they were to win in 2020, then they would obviously do away with 
many much of the agenda that Trump has put into place, just like he did away with theirs, and they would try to put their agenda in uh, the place. And um, you wonder, I, I wonder whether this four-year period from 2016 to 2020 isn't a grace period for the United States of America to get their act together and start thinking divine establishment type thoughts. The people get their minds together and stop doing the things that distress God. Okay? And if we don't do that, and the Democrats were to win, and the Democratic Party, you know, I, I would hesitate to say that probably everyone in their lifetime has been a Democrat at one time, you know? And the Democratic Party has changed so much because uh, they used to be the party of peace, they used to be the party of this and that, and, and they've gone, gone so far to the liberal side that they aren't even interested. I mean, you look at John Kennedy, I mean, shoot, he, 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 he was a Democrat. He didn't mess around a lot of the stuff. He told the Russians, get your ships out of Cuba or else we'll kick your fanny. And they did that. And, you know, we look at Obama, what did he do? He lit the White House up in rainbow colors. <laughs> you know, that's, from God's perspective, what do you think God thinks about that? You know, I just can't see anywhere in God's word where God would okay the killing or abortion of a baby that's already out of the womb. And that has been made law in New York now. And it will be made law in other places. Is it in Oregon too? Well, recently. Has it? Okay. You know, I... You know, and, and the other things that, that are so obviously against God's word, I just... Anyway, pray for our country because 2020, I think, is going to be a very um, important... Burning God into the race. That's good. <laughs> okay, let me finish this up. So I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm really not. You know... Do the Republicans have a bunch of problems? Oh, yeah. yeah. Our whole political system has got a bunch of problems. I kind of wonder whether that's going to lead into the wonderful government where the people are going to be so upset politically that they will... I, 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 can't, I can't even hardly watch Fox News anymore. And I love Fox News. Because everything about it is about them arguing with them and them arguing with this. It's not even the news anymore. Okay, getting back to Thessalonians. <laughs> yes. Gathering, and and then down later, the, the, the one who 
Okay, I'm not seeing I'm not seeing that in verse two though. Okay, the verse three? Yeah. Don't let anyone see you in any way that they will not come and tell the rebellion occurs and the man that follows you is revealed. Okay, that day, but what day is he talking about? The day of the Lord. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, pretty, pretty this, uh, but, but there are 
like this. It's 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 really today. Yeah. I mean, it really is. In fact, it's today that's so hot for me. And and it's just as I said, that I've come to the point where instead of being a dog, I can be free to take the insect because you have to leave the possibility of future position activity because otherwise you would be waiting and ready at any time for more to occur. But that's that's the best argument I can give. Well, and that is a and that is a good argument too, because if if um, I can see a lot of arguments for nitpicking, if if you don't if you don't go by dispensations, yeah. dispensations of the Jewish age and the Church age, then you could come up with a nitpick uh, rapture. But let's let's go on and just see if we can clarify. It says here in verse five, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him, that would be the Antichrist, back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. So there's going to be a proper time for him to be revealed. For the secret power of lawlessness is already work. We knew that from first John when Jesus said that the spirit of Antichrist is already here. The spirit of Antichrist is here right now, not here in this church. I mean, the world, okay? Hope it's not here. Uh, and so it says here, well, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back, the only, I mean, who could hold that back? Who could hold back the secret power of lawlessness? I mean, it's got to be God, right? So it's either God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit, or, or the Trinity, or all of them, but it's God. So the one who holds it back, that's God, will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. So the he, um, you know, is, is that speaking of the Holy Spirit in the church? Unfortunately, the Bible really doesn't come out and say that's the Holy Spirit in the church. Okay, so we have to go some in some cases by circumstantial evidence of comparing scripture with scripture. You could come up with a doctrine for almost everything if you want to. I mean, there was a time in my life where I did not believe. In eternal security. I did not believe that once you were saved, you were all saved. I thought you, I sincerely thought you could lose your salvation. And then I tell you, I had the verses for it. But the problem is, is I didn't understand what the verses were saying. Yeah. Truly. I wasn't, I didn't understand God's grace. I didn't understand, uh, uh, that salvation is a gift not to be earned or deserve. Okay? It took me uh, a few lumps on the head to get that figured out. All right. So let's continue on here, and I'll, I'll try to make this a little more clear. It says in verse eight, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So the then is when he that holds it back is taken out of the way. So whoever the he is, and I would assume 
The only one that can hold lawlessness back is God. So that he really kind of has to relate to God. And I'm assuming that it would relate to the Holy Spirit. Because that would be the only thing that really makes sense. It says here, and then the lost one will be revealed to the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Now, if the rapture is a separate event, phase one, from the second coming of Christ, then this uh, fact that Jesus Christ is going to overthrow the Antichrist with the splendor of his coming, that has to be at the second coming, not at the rapture, right? Right. Because the rapture isn't in view here. So it's it's very much scripture. Um, and we see this in, especially it seems like in the Old Testament, Psalm Daniel, is that we can see prophetic, we can see the near and the far prophecy in one paragraph. All right? And we saw that in Daniel chapter 9. We saw that in several portions of Daniel. So God can, in one paragraph, be talking about this phase of time and switch over to this phase of time, and you have to be able to recognize what he's talking about, or else you'll be confused. Okay? Now, so let's continue on. It says, so the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth, and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. What is the lie? The lie is, and it's listed for us, it's listed in... Um, chapter or in Second Thessalonians two four, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That is a lie. That is the lie. That is the lie that's going to be believed by the world. How do we know that? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter. Okay. Revelation chapter 13 says this. Okay? Now this is John, totally different author, totally different time frame, etc., etc. He says here in verse 1, this is Revelation chapter 13, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea had ten horns and seven heads. Now, when we looked at beasts in Daniel, what did they represent? Kingdoms. Kingdoms. Now, when we think of kingdoms, we can also think of kings. Kings and kingdoms go together. Okay? When you speak about a kingdom, you speak about a king. When you speak about a king, you speak about a kingdom. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. So this is some kind of a kingdom or king. He. Now that's a personal pronoun, isn't it? So he, this is got to be speaking of a man. He had ten horns and seven heads. 
That's a good looking man. <laughs> what do the horns stand for that we learned in Daniel? P-O-W-R. He has ten horns. Or, uh, let see. He has ten horns. So this guy's got power. And seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. And on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard. What kingdom do you remember representing the leopard? Grecian. Grecian kingdom. Alexander the Great. But had feet like those of a bear. What kingdom represented the bear? The Medes and Persians. Remember that? Okay. And a mouth like that of a lion. Which one was the lion? No, that was Babylon, wasn't it? Yes, Babylon. Babylon was the lion. So what is he saying here? He's saying this king or kingdom is has arisen that and he has attributes of the Grecian, the Babylonian, and the Median Persian kingdom. Persian today standing for Iran. Okay. It says here. The dragon, who's the dragon? Do you know that? We'll go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. So we know who the dragon is. Okay? It says, the dragon or Satan gave the beast, this king and kingdom, his power and his, and that personal pronouns again, throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon, or Satan, because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast. What did it say in Second Thessalonians? He's going to set himself up in the temple and proclaim himself to be God, and, and it's going to be worshipped. So this all goes together. It says, um, worship the beast and ask, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. It's exactly what Daniel said. And to exercise his authority for 42 months. How long is that? Three and a half years. Okay. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. In other words, listen up. If anyone is going to go into captivity, that's prison, into captivity, he will go. And that is prophesied that Believers in the tribulation will be imprisoned. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, he will be killed. So he's saying, he that has an ear, let him hear. Listen, people of the tribulation, you will be persecuted, you will be put in prison, and you will be killed. If you have an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says. What did Jesus say? Jesus said that they will bring you the poor. Uh, governors and and kings and and etc. 
and you will be persecuted, and you will lose your life for my sake. Okay? Now, it says here, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. No kidding. They're going to be imprisoning and killing people in the tribulation. It's going to call for a lot of patient endurance. It says that in verse 11, then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. This is a totally different other beast. He, so now this is a personal pronoun, he had two horns, like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. So he looked like a lamb, but his words were Satan. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf, on the behalf of the first beast, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. What did Thessalonians say? And I'm going to go back to Revelation. Thessalonians said this. It says, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. Who gave the beast his power? The dragon. Satan. Okay. Displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those that are perishing. Same exact thing here that we just read in Revelation. It says he will come perform great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. You know, we say believing is seeing. The opposite of that is seeing and believing. See, we see God and godliness, really wisdom, etc., because we believe. Isn't that right? But yet the world is going to see and then believe. So they're going to believe empirically. They're going to believe the fact, oh my gosh, this guy called down fire from heaven. This guy did this. This guy did this. He must be. So it says here, he, the second beast, ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Now, what could that be? Well, you know, uh, technology keeps advancing. advancing. So when we, like when Hal Lindsey wrote his book, The Late Great Planet Earth, back in uh, roughly 1967 or 68, before I was born, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, you know, talked about how could that be? How could, so you remember, I mean, you guys remember, what do they call the, the when you've been to a you got to, that is 
probably the most primitive method of causing an image to speak, right? Okay? Okay, so where do we go from there? Well, do you remember holograms? Okay, holograms. That is a potential for this thing to work out that way. Now, we've got graphics and things that are so realistic that if we would have seen the graphics these kids are playing in their games, if we would have seen them 20, 25 years ago and looked at them, we would have thought they were real humans. We would have just thought, but it's just kind of a little bit of a fuzzy picture. That's how good the graphics are. Now, is there more technology than even that? Oh, heck yes. You bet there is. Could Hollywood or technology or whatever take an image? I mean, look at AI, artificial intelligence right now. They have got humanoid robots. Now, they haven't perfected them to the point of where they, you would mistake them for a human, boy, they're getting close. They're getting really, really close. And the mouth moves, the eyes blink, the eyes move when they're talking to you, and it's a robot. So, you know, we're living in this day where we can easily see that technology can cause this image to speak and to command people to do this and that. Let me go back and read that to you real quick. It says here, he ordered them to set up an image. Now this reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar's statue in the plain of Shinar, nine feet tall, nine feet wide, uh, covered with gold. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. If you have followed the news, Stalin, Hitler, Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi, almost all of your dictator-type rulers have got images and pictures of themselves all over their country. If you remember the one where... Uh, they, they pulled down, remember they pulled down that large statue of Saddam Hussein? And then the, the, uh, um, the Iraqis were taking their, took their shoes off and pounding on the image, because that's the ultimate insult in Iraq, is to take off your shoe and hit somebody with it. So let me get you with my shoe. Okay, here's what it says. It says this. Orders them to set up an image in honor of the beast. So this is not unusual at all. Who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. We'll get to that when we get to uh, Revelation 13. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had a mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number, whose number is 666. And if you look at the Gematria, or Gematria, I'm not sure exactly how that's pronounced, 
the Hebrew letters, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet all have a number assigned to them. And they have shown that Caesar Augustus Nero, the numbers in that name add up to 666. So, when the people that were reading Revelation chapter 13, during the time John wrote it, or shortly thereafter, they would have thought Caesar Nero is the Antichrist. Okay. So this is another way of showing a dual application to the particular scripture. So, is the Antichrist going to be Caesar Augustus Nero? No, but he's going to have his spirit. And that's the spirit of Satan. And Nero is the one that blamed the fire of uh, Rome on the Christians and had them arrested, had them put on stakes covered with um, tar and pitch and set them on fire by his garments. That's how evil he was. So the Antichrist will be that evil. Um, let me see where we are today. I thought we were going to go. Let me let me just finish reading chapter eleven, and then when we come together next week, we'll discuss this more. Okay, so I'm going to start in verse thirty six, eleven thirty six, Daniel. Did I say Revelation? Daniel 11, 36. So, looking at 2 Thessalonians, looking at Revelation chapter 13, I want you to coordinate that with what we're going to read here in Daniel chapter 11, 35 on. It says, we're talking about the Antichrist. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. And will the time of wrath be completed? And Jesus Christ comes back again. For what has been determined must take place. He, that will be the Antichrist, will show no regard for the gods of his fathers, or for the one desired by women. Nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. We read that second Thessalonians in Revelation chapter 13. Instead of them, okay, instead of honoring God, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his fathers, he will honor with gold and silver, precious stones and costly gifts. When you think about God of fortresses, what do you think about? War. Yeah. War is going to be his God. It says here, he will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign God and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people 
and will distribute the land at a price. So he's going to reward his followers for following him. At the time of the end, the king of the south, now that is the Egyptian area, at least from the, the rest we read in uh, Daniel chapter 11, will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade beautiful land. Many countries will fall. But Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. Do you know where Edom, Moab, Moab and Ammon is? Jordan. Modern day Jordan. That's right. Do you know where the city of Petra is? Modern day Jordan. Do you know where the, the remnant of Jews are going to flee from when Antichrist attacked? It's tough that they're going to lead to Jordan. So this all kind of makes sense if that's true. He will extend his powers over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt with the Libyans and Nubians in submission. That would be the um, African nations. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him, and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful, at the beautiful holy mountain. So that would be between the Mediterranean Sea and between Jerusalem. He will come to his end and no one will help him. So then we'll pick that up and pick chapter 12 up and don't lose your handouts that I gave you because we're going to pick that up too. <laughs>